I'm thinking too much, Rui. That's not a good sign. No, but welcome all the listeners to our podcast, Number 10 of the Swamp. We're here on another very warm, lazy Sunday afternoon. And as always, my, my first thing when you bring in that um, that shopping basket of goodies <laughs> is what's he got in store today? My, so, my, my props. So, Russ, I've, I've had a look at these props and, uh, these props and, um, <laughs> and you, you might want to just quickly just, just, just even explain what likely goodies are we going to be looking at today? I'm looking okay. here at, a, at a, um, a very lovely copy of the Vintage Rock magazine. Yes, Tell me about yes. That. Uh, well, I, I bought that during the week. I don't right. normally buy magazines these days. I find they're not really value for money. You're better off just standing there in the, in, in the news agent, just flicking through and reading the bits that you want to read and then putting yeah, it back yeah, for the price. I mean, yeah. they're not cheap anymore. They're like 15 bucks. But in your case, do you actually... As an, you know, a, a really avid uh, pop culture um, dilettante, do you, <laughs> that, that, yeah, do you yeah, yeah. actually subscribe to any online magazines? I don't. Which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you asked me that. I mean, I've never, ever subscribed to a magazine, you know, in my life. Right, even You know, print, no, never. Right. Be, and yeah. I, I guess I did not want to make the commitment. Yeah. The I mean, I've never really liked a magazine so much that, you, know, you yeah. had to line up well, for the next copy. And, well, I'm, yeah. I just yeah. enjoy the hunt, I think, yeah. is part of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. getting out there and just finding the latest copy, that that's part of the fun for me. If, if it's going to just come automatically, I mean, I don't. Yes, but, they've definitely. Yeah, they've got a different place now. You know, they but, um, certainly have. Yeah, uh, but, but they're still there. They're yeah. still. It's you know, yeah. we've talked about this before. Old media is still hanging on, whether it's LPs or it's film, etc. Yeah, well, in um, fact, I mean, all, I, I guess all of these sort of niche niche markets. Um, I, I mean, if anything, have found a resurgence. I mean, I know that you talked um, quite a few times about that really interesting uh, app that you can now get for. Um, uh, locating, um, you know, vinyl record yes, stores yeah. in Melbourne. Which vinyl is, district. Yeah. Vinyl district, which, which is, I mean, just the whole idea that we would even need an app like that, which obviously gives an idea <laughs> yeah. that there's a lot of people out there looking for, um, you know, this resurgence in interest in, in vinyl albums. And so many new releases are now also being simultaneously released um, on vinyl. I noticed that, say, with mm. the, the, at the Robert Forster gig that we went to, that he had a copy of songs to That's play right. on CD, but also yep. has released that as a special edition. Tea and they were a bit more expensive. Yeah, yeah, um, and 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 are probably doing really well. And I know from talking to say my, my nephew and 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 um, you know he tells me that you know that I mean, he spends the better part of most weekends now you know sort of visiting you know um, uh, you know vinyl record stores looking for different things and just browsing and just enjoying that experience. So the overall yeah, theme yeah, of yeah, all yeah. of that is that. Yeah, this kind of sort of dystopian sort of thing where we're seeing, um, yeah, that disruption to our world because of the internet and so on. And so you're seeing the decline of news agencies and bookshops. And we almost thought that perhaps LPs were defunct um, and, um, you know, and all of that. And that perhaps that all of the new uh, music platforms like SoundCloud that we've talked about and Spotify and Bandcamp and so on would even lead to the demise of the CD. And it's more maybe a case that they're disrupting how we buy and purchase these things. And so it's an issue for the the publishers of content, whether it's music, books, whatever, but uh, particularly for from, from a consumer's point of view, um, uh, you, you know, the, the people are looking for these spaces. I mean, the, the uptake of sort of secondhand goods and markets is 
exponentially growing. The interest in op shops, the interest now obviously in secondhand bookshops and secondhand record stores and probably secondhand magazines and so on. um, These things are both kind of happening at all all at the same time, you know. It's It's quite a mishmash. Yeah, yeah. Look at it. I mean, you mentioned magazines and, yeah, I feel the same way because they're so expensive in – yeah. I mean, I would look well, out for them in, in op shops. Well, I just $15 for this magazine. Yeah, yeah well, I, I mean, you know, and you can get that maybe in yeah. another month at an op shop for, for – I know in my op shop where I work, yeah. uh, 50 cents, mate. Yeah. And yeah. whenever I get magazines like come in, I, I snap them up. Yeah. Like recently I got a whole bunch of um, Judge Dredd comic books, right. 50 cents each, and, you know, they're yeah. like gold to me. I mean, I've got to say, I mean, it's a beautiful-looking magazine, a full-scale-size yeah, well, sort of magazine. You get your money. I mean, that's right. I mean, I, I, yeah. you know, I sort of poo-pooed it, I guess, before about um, not value, value for money. Um, and usually, I mean, what I mean by that is usually there's a couple of articles that will be of interest and then the rest of it maybe you know, I didn't need to see, but – Visually, they're, they're so beautiful. Oh, Even the yeah, ads are fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, they're still as artifacts. Yeah. They're worth keeping. I mean, there's very few magazines I buy that actually end up, after I've read them, chucking them out. You know, yeah. I keep them. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to have reference to them later on or the, the photos themselves are just worth, yeah. and, you know, just and again, coming back to your point about, you know, just the, the tactile Feel aspect of, of being a yeah. book or magazine that you can flick the pages it's very different to an e-book yeah or an e-magazine yeah. and, and we still enjoy that yeah yeah as human beings yeah i mean even like just on a, on a you know, my, my usual sort of more sentimental bent that um yeah getting my my buzz cut yesterday for my my um i noticed <laughs> that where, yeah where, where they probably had to Ruby's looking very the, the, hairdress, the, the hairdressers increasingly spending a lot of time just trying to find in your hair to, <laughs> to buzz but but the, leaving that story aside it was actually a busy saturday morning at the local barber store and uh, barber shop and um uh, you know really busy with all different kinds of, you know, um, men in there and and, and uh, mums bringing in their young kids to get their haircuts and so on. But I noticed that, you know, the four or five of us that were, were waiting um, to, 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 to get called up were flicking through the um, the, the, the coffee table magazine, yeah, most of sort of, yeah. you know, car, old, old car magazines that were available. But people didn't actually get out their phone that I thought was interesting because mm. on a train, that's all you'll kind of see now is yeah. people flicking through their Facebook or whatever they're doing, um, uh, uh, but nobody sort of brought out their Kobo or Kindle device to be reading their, you know, online magazine subscription. They were actually all, all sort of quite interestingly, you know, flicking through old magazines, and I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Yeah. That you well, know, yeah. Clearly, I think we're needing we're needing a segue into this vintage rock magazine. Oh, sorry, yeah. that's right. I am holding it in my hand. So you hold so, it, and so I need to talk Russell, about that. Russell, what? prompted you to purchase this particular well, copy of I'll tell you about it in a minute. Rock. I need to get a beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's, have, let's put on those stupid bloody carts. Yep. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> Swamped. 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 Don't let life jumping again. Don't let life jumping again. Don't let life jumping again. Swamped. 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 Swamped. I'm feeling swamped. 
Ah, that's better. Yeah, now I can say Stella. Stella. Life is so much better after a beer Indeed. or two or three. Indeed. Okay, so where were we before we were so rudely interrupted well, by me? Yeah, so you were going to um, <laughs> rudely interrupt yourself uh, talking about uh, the vintage rock magazine and why you'd specifically purchase it. But, I mean, the reason why, I mean, it's got the Beach Boys on the cover. Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, yeah. who can resist that? The Beach Boys. Look at those smiling faces. I'm seeing, I'm looking at Mike, I'm seeing Brian, I'm seeing Carl, I'm seeing Al, and I'm seeing Dennis right there smiling. Well, Dennis isn't smiling so much, but yeah. Um, yeah so which I, I know resist. is a band that you've seen a couple of times. When they well, just Australia, once. I saw them the on the 50th okay. anniversary okay. tour. Yeah. I had to see them once in my lifetime, and that was a good tour because it included Brian. Yep. Um, yep, who'd been Fantastic from some at Broad Labor Arena. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just love the Beach Boys. They're my favourite American band. I, I still think they are the best American band. Um, think about it. Just think, which other band would you, would you nominate the best American band? I mean, there are a number of candidates, I know. But and if you say the band, you because they were mostly Canadian. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say the band. So come um, on, come on. Um, uh, well, I certainly grew up um, for, for you know, obviously growing up with an older brother, so I had access to this uh, for better or for worse. But uh, I basically had access to what his taste and what he would buy. That's what I listened mm. to before I could buy my yep. own stuff. And um, but so I certainly grew up a lot with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, with the occasional Young, and um, for all mm, sorts good. of reasons, um, they would definitely be up there for me. And you know, definitely had. Uh, a number of the Eagles albums as well. And, um, you know, from my point of view, it was a very quintessential um, American band, but which came post-60s and therefore it's perhaps eras. And and maybe one of the points that you would make would be that is maybe the longevity of absolutely. of, the, of yep. the Beach absolutely. Boys. And, yeah, that um, is one of my main arguments, the longevity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people think of them only as a 60s band, yeah, but, but um, they, they yeah, had some good absolutely. albums in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, Kokomo was a huge hit, and that was about, you know, mid yeah. to eight, yeah. late 80s. Yeah, absolutely, like 20, 30 years you know, after their you know, you know, initial tracks. And I would I mean, definitely nominate their yeah. Love You album from yeah. 1977 as one of their best albums ever. I'm not the only one. Um, Peter Buck of R.E.M. thinks so too. He wrote the yeah. liner notes for the yeah. Yeah. The re-release of that album, um, and but but speaking, Peter, I, I guess REM for me would be one of the main yeah. rivals yeah. for the best American. Well, band. Well, because I was going to say, so I mean, the most influential maybe American band for me would probably be REM as well. Mm. I mean, mm. um, I certainly got interested in obviously Nirvana and the whole grunge stuff, yep. um, you know, in the nineties. But by which time I, you know, I, I was sort of past my my twenties and thirties. I'm mean, just trying to replace my locate myself yeah. there, um, <laughs> and was certainly interested in all of that as I still am in. I, I mean, my musical taste probably more eclectic now than they ever were. But um, so, yeah, so maybe as an American band, I think the Bitch Boys are really right up there, but it just depends on the question that's been asked. Were they the best American band for me, you know, in the last 40 years? Probably not. I mean, for me... I'm I'm trying to say objectively speaking, you know, not subjectively, um, you know. Yeah, well, objectively, objectively, I think one of the arguments would be that they were, I think, still would be, I think would have to be considered the most influential American band, both on what happened and came later in America, but let alone just even on their impact on the Beatles. I mean, and if you're Mm. having an impact on the Beatles in the 60s, well, you've got to be doing something pretty pretty special, you know. Yeah, well, Um, the only other band I can think of that, that rivals that would be the Birds, the birds yeah, definitely had it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I want to say a number of American bands. I want to say Creedence. I want to say Velvet Underground. I want to say the Pixies. But I mean, even yeah, just saying that, you can yeah. you can see the difference. I mean, with the Doors. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, well, so anyway, so that was the the thing yeah. that got me hooked on this magazine, okay? Um, yeah. And the article itself is pretty interesting um, by Randy Fox, I think his name was. Um, he, he seems to be a pretty good writer, old Randy. Um, and you've got to just pause while we, we consider that name. That's the name of the writer who wrote the article on the Beach Boys. And it's basically to do with the early days of the Beach Boys. And, and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't really covering much materi- territory that I didn't know. I mean... Yep, Murray Wilson, their their father, uh, the Wilson boys' father. Um, he gets a lot of flack, but he actually is the guy who got them the contract with Capitol Records. Right. Um, you know, and he willing and dealing, and he also got them a very good contract. He got them the publishing rights, which is very unusual, and that that made them millions of dollars that alone. Yep. yep. So you know, pretty good will and dealer, old Murray. Um, as a human being, he seemed a bit lacking. Um, beat his well, that's almost like another theme, and, isn't it, Russ? I mean, like if you yep. think about all the the um, yeah, I mean, like I'm just thinking there as you're speaking about, say, for example, the Jacksons and so on, but. Oh, yeah. You know, bands that were shaped and, um, what's the best word, you know, like um, dominated, haunted by these strong, yeah. usually father figures, but I don't know if there were or, some or pretty strong mother figures, but possibly, but um, but often by, um, you know, uh, I don't know, dads kind of almost like in terms of like yeah. vicarious sports stars, but mapping out their their um, their rock careers vicariously through their, their children and being yeah. often, you know, um, I, guess, I guess, I don't know, you know, tyrants and, and seemed like to be, you know, driving their kids into working so hard to get these shows and contracts. But um, but is the reality that the Beach Boys wouldn't have been the Beach Boys without him? Maybe. Would the Jacksons have ever got become the Jacksons without, um, I know what, uh, it was meant to have been a really strong father figure that um, yeah, was also known yeah. to be a bit of a, yeah. well, a tough yeah. Taskmaster that would get the, the boys to, um, you know, rehearse, you know, um, for hours a day. And um, But is that how you, you got good back yeah. then? You yeah, know, you need them at some do, point. Then you know? at some point you, you don't need them. But yeah. with Murray, I mean, also, I mean, he he was a musician to begin with. He is also, was also a songwriter. Yeah. And clearly that rubbed off on, on the three Wilson boys and got them into music, got Brian, you know, and really obsessed with. I mean, he, he and his wife, yeah. no doubt, were the ones who purchased the instruments that, that yeah. they learned to play. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you need to give them some kudos. And, yeah. Well, and that's ab- sort of the thing that came yeah. through for me yeah. reading this article. Anyway, let's give this thing a whirl. Give it a whirl. So you're about my, to my, carry on with Lisa Caron? No, Leslie, you never get it right, do you? Leslie Caron. But in fact, I'm not going to carry on with Leslie Caron because I'm going to... Where's the bloody... Carry on with... No, um... The Swamp? Yeah. I don't really want, get, really want to go into it much more. I mean, there's some fabulous vintage photos of um, the yeah. Beach Boys there. Um, but that was ultimately um, the thing for me with this magazine. It was actually, as so often happens when you pick up a magazine and you you take it home and you read it, there are other articles that take your eye. And um, so there was another one here segueing. He's very subtly segueing from Beach Boys. I guess you could segue to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in a strange sort of way, I mean, the, the classic story of the Rolling Stones is Mick Jagger and Keith Richards um, meeting each other for the first time in, in, in ages on a railway platform. Mick's got a couple of old vintage records under his arm, the best of Muddy Waters and a Chuck Berry album, and, and Keith Richards is all agog because he's into this black R&B blues type thing. And, yeah, and yeah. 
and and Mick's got you know this holy grail. How the hell did he get hold of it? Um, and that be- thus began the the Rolling Stones and the whole R- British R and B boom, basically. Um, yeah. I don't think it's drawing too far about to say it, but but how on earth did did Mick get the records? Did he get them by magic? No, he got them from uh, basically. Um, a, a place called Ernie's Record Market in the United States from yeah, wow. Nashville, mail yeah. order, yeah. and there was an article about that in the um, this vintage magazine, vintage rock magazine that goes into the whole thing. And the writer, in fact, is Randy Fox yet again, that man who wrote the the article on the the Beach Boys. He also wrote this article, and the article is called "Please, Mr. Postman." Um, and the sub head, subtitle, I'll just read it out. Nowadays, music is just a mouse click away, but at the birth of rock and roll, Randy's Record Shop and Ernie's Record Mart yeah. delivered new releases around the world. Randy Fox looks at the glory days of music by mail. Yeah, and- no, that's fascinating to ponder on that, um, you, you know, again, like we – uh, you know, take it for granted now that um, you know, with access to the internet, obviously, and um, and and all of that, that bands um, uh, I mean, or, 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 whereas today maybe almost the the challenge is how to filter and keep the noise out so that you're not sort of um, distracted by uh, all this, you know, never-ending array of new content that's available to you to be listened to and be influenced by and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Um, and that everything's got a global element. I mean, you, you, any of us can launch or uh, publish something or post something online from wherever we are and uh, out it goes to the World Wide Web. Um, but back in the day, as we're talking about, particularly, say, in the 60s, that, that it's easy to forget that for these artists, I mean, I guess that they were well, certainly influenced by radio and what was yep. being played yep. on their local yep. radio. Radio is essential. Yep. Yeah. Certainly influenced by presumably family and what records were available to them growing up, a bit like we just talked about in terms of influences <laughs> even on ourselves, in terms of our musical tastes. Um, but I know that, for example, we we're talking a little bit about this off air that um, – yeah, Dylan, for example, um, yep. uh, yeah, by the time that uh, he's playing at the 10 o'clock Scholar, having enrolled at, um, at, at Minnesota University, um, he, he was famous uh, yeah, for basically um, you know, lurching from one couch to another and sort of usually overstaying his welcome and, and actually being accused of, of stealing people's um, you know, uh, record <laughs> collections. But I that, wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, yep. but that he was an absolute sponge that people were saying he had this absolute knack for listening to something something once or twice on somebody's um, you know, record player and, and pulling out all of the and inter- in, in, increasingly becoming interested in the, I think, the, the Library of Congress catalogue of yeah. American folk musicians that were opening up, I guess, whole new artistic directions for him and, and, and discovering and learning about his musical heritage or American mm. musical history. Um, uh, and, and sure enough, you know, a, a, a day or two or three later, he'd be um, doing his versions of these songs um, in, in an impromptu way at, um, at these ongoing gigs at all these yep. little bars. And, yep. um, but, but so my point being not only how that influenced Dylan, but that um, – that's, I guess, how artists grew was what was available too. And I know that yeah. the the Beatles very much likewise that they were really influenced by, um, you know, um, well, not even sort of Presley, but you know, going back to sort of Hank Williams and American country records and blues records because that's what they could get, um, you know, in in the Liverpool record shops. You know, um, not even the record shops; they just get them from Merchant Seaman. Right, that would, that would, the, yeah. I mean, yeah, Liverpool, informally, Liverpool being a port, port town, town, yeah, in Hamburg, that's obviously, part of how yeah. they they managed to yeah, get access to it, yeah. and. Um, I just would like to read uh, some excerpts yeah, from this absolutely. article, which really 
really fill in the gaps for you in terms of this this whole um, missing link really in in the, in the birth of rock and roll is the way I look at it. Yeah. Um, that's where it started very much. Um, so let me just um, I'll get you to read this out, Louis, yeah, um, absolutely. if you can. Um, in 1946, DJ Gene Nobles began broadcasting nightly shows of R&B on radio station WLAC in Nashville. With WAC's 50,000-watt clear channel signal, the music boomed out across the continent, covering most of the eastern half of the US, north to Canada and south to the Caribbean. Nobles' program was a revelation for many African Americans as well as young white music fans. Meanwhile, 30 miles northeast of Nashville in the small town of Gallatin, Randy Wood, a young ex-GI, opened a small appliance store after returning home from active service in the war. Along with the custom-built hi-fi systems he sold, Wood began stocking records, and the focus of his business gradually shifted. In 1947, Wood advertised a mail-order package of pop hits during Gene Noble's show. Within a few weeks, orders were pouring in. Not for the Joe Stafford and Johnny Mercer records that were being advertised, but for the records Noble was playing on his show. Louis Jordan, Winoni Harris, T-Bone Walker, and many more. Wood accidentally discovered an untapped market. Noble's nightly broadcast of R&B created a hunger among his listeners, but few record shops carried R&B or hillbilly discs, and music fans in many rural areas had no access to a record retailer. Many rural southerners, both black and white, were accustomed to the idea of mail-order shopping thanks to the Sears, Roebuck and Montgomery Ward catalogues. The discovery of an outlet where one could order records was an instant hit, and Randy's record shop was soon receiving orders for records in all genres. Yeah, there it is. I mean, birth of rock and roll, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so Nashville. it's almost like, yeah, it just reminds me of sort of like almost, um, I guess, just hitting upon that idea. I mean, mail order still plays. Uh, I mean, well, really, if we think about it, I mean, the internet um, boom, without digressing down another another Rui Santos rabbit hole, but the whole internet boom, I mean, is really built around the the, the home delivery um, for businesses that you're able yeah. to order something online from around yeah. the world and it arrives on your doorstep with the mailman two or three or four days later or whatever. Um, uh, but so what an extraordinary idea that, um, you know, that you could just post, um, you know, mm. post this stuff to people around the world and it just um, – yeah, to come up with that idea is just just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He discovered a gold mine, old Randy. And after Randy and, then and died, a super wealthy, successful man. He or did. I'm, I'm no, jumping. he did. No, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. As far as I can tell. And then Ernie came along, you know, who's basically a rival. Ernie actually had his shop just just up the road from WLAC, um, and he did a similar thing to Randy. But but eventually, both of them, I um, mean, they went into the record production business. They, in fact, I think Ernie, no, Randy actually started a um, record label called Dot Records. I, I think I own a couple of Dot Records singles. And and interestingly enough, um, as the article talks about, um, Dot Records actually started um, – he started actually um, promoting records by people like Pat Boone. Ah, right. Sort of, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. you know, the white sort of um, – Yeah. Uh, cleaned up versions sort of, of the R&B stuff. Sort of part of the, the, the crooners. Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. taking a lot of these yeah. sort of really raw black artists yeah. work and, and then reworking them. Well, that was all himself. Almost- Right. 
Pops, are you feeling swamped? I am so swamped, I just can't believe it. Oh, it's time for a new adventure. I think you're right. Yeah. A new adventure in pop culture. A new adventure in pop culture. I'm feeling swamped. The best way to go is simply just, just quote a few more passages from the magazine article to give you really a flavour of... of what went down back in the, the 50s and 60s and um, and the contribution that Rand, good old Randy and um, Ernie made. Yeah, like to would the, the Stones have ever got going if Mick hadn't ordered those albums? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's have a reading from you, Rui. Okay. You're using your mellifluous voice to just read out a few more passages and, and fill the, the listener in on, on what went down there. With pleasure. Although Randy Wood and Ernie Young were competitors, they remained on friendly terms sharing information about their respective specials. Customers often confused the two companies and sent orders for an advertised special to the wrong address. And so the standard policy for both stores was to simply fill the order at the advertised price. Both wholesale releases on their respective labels, with Ernie's carrying dot releases, and Randy's been happy to sell both Nashborough and Excello product. Another challenge that both stores often faced was deciphering the orders they received. Many customers misheard the artist's name or title of a song or remembered only a few lyrics from a radio broadcast. Employees often had to act as detectives or ad hoc code breakers to untangle a customer's order. Although Randy's and Ernie's were both shipping records to the outer reaches of WLAC's broadcast signal, their business soon expanded, reaching across the Atlantic to young Brits hungry for the sounds they were selling. All over the UK, small groups of collectors, music fans and aspiring musicians were discovering the services of Ernie's Record Mart and Randy's Record Shop through magazines like Cashbox and Billboard or via other channels. For music historian John Broven and his close friend Mike Ledbitter, the magazine served as a Rosetta Stone for the American blues and R&B scene. It was almost like a Bush Telegraph. Broven says, the word was going around the circuit. There were little pockets of people all ordering the same records from Ernie or Randy's. We all thought we were unique, but of course we weren't. And it gradually coalesced into the British R&B boom, which was focused on R&B and blues and the independent labels that recorded them. At this point, I'm going to say, I'm, I'll put it on later, the, the name of the director and the actors, because I can't remember them. But, yeah, yeah. So I sound authoritative, you know, yeah, instead yeah, of, yeah. I don't have a fucking clue, mate. <laughs> but, uh, I don't care. I'm, I'm a yeah, professional dickhead. Uh, I'm feeling swamped. Yeah. Well, you know, all that talk about these old mail-order record companies and, and the way we, we get our music, it makes me think of... Um, other ways we've gotten our music down the years. Obviously, these days it's internet and Bandcamp and all the rest of it. But um, I'm thinking about a time in the, in the late 70s when there was a, a new thing came along, like community radio and and FM. Yeah, yeah like remember the those days? R days and 3CR we, days. We are yeah. old enough to remember that. Indeed, um, that it was groundbreaking, Russ. You yeah, know? Um, um, and for me, um, the big deal was was community radio station 3 Triple R, which yeah. we have down here in Melbourne. Yeah, they would look. They were just such signature, signature tunes, and it's so much part of my, um, you know, my 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 late teens and early um, university student days was, um, you know, definitely tuning into unbelievably fantastic um, public radio. Yeah. um, I mean, it's hard to give people a flavour of that today. I mean, given that. You know, today it's all about, I mean, you could sort of Google things that you might be interested in and stumble upon stuff. 
but until Triple R came along, and I get well really preceding that, I mean the big change um, on the certainly Victorian, I think it was sort of Australian wide, but certainly in the Victorian. Um, music industry Context, was that yeah. some new licenses were made available on the fm bandwidth yep. we yep. only had the am bandwidth up until then yep. so these new licenses came along yep. and i don't you, russell may give us hopefully some history about how triple r came to being and getting one of those licenses but um but when they hit the airwaves it it was like that pre there was the pre triple R days and there were the post triple R pretty days. much yeah. yeah and basically to answer your question there um triple R got their license through RMIT Royal Melbourne Institute right. of Technology As like um, a University project kind yeah of. Right. pretty much okay. yeah uh, they were given a license because they're being an educational facility they were given. Yeah. Awarded a, a license, license from the government, yep, and, and they created three triple R. It wasn't called three triple R that originally. I think it was three RMT or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, back, I in, back in about nineteen seventy six, and obviously, with you count forward, that's about forty years they've been yeah, together. Good old triple R. Um, yeah. And like this year, um, they've done a really interesting thing um, in celebration of their forty years. There. Um, They've initiated a really nice um, series of, uh, I guess, audio documentaries, um, 40 Years in 40 Days, which have been oh, created yeah. by um, former Triple R breakfaster Chris Hatzis. Um, and I had to mention that because um, I'm actually a former Triple R DJ yeah. or volunteer d- DJ. I used to do that back in 1986. I remember the show vividly, the On Your Kierkegaard. It was extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, back in the graveyard shift days. Yeah, yeah what, a, what an amazing experience that was um we yeah. could fill up a whole podcast about but that so, but so you certainly not... cut your teeth on um on public radio i yeah, did yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they were great days but um yeah and just fantastic working with triple r um but yeah i'd, I'd like to just yeah mention that that the the documentaries that are they're out at the moment um you can find them actually on soundcloud um i think they're finished they're they're, they're run of um 40 day 40 years in 40 days yeah um, so, yeah, as I was saying, um, Chris Hassett's put them together and he did a really good job. Uh, they've been running for the last 40 days and um, they're all, all now up on, on SoundCloud if you oh, really want to have a listen yeah. to them. It gives a really good sort of um, breakdown on what was going on in any particular year that you care to think about in the last 40 years, really. I mean, he talks about the music that was that was big, not just um, yeah. on Triple R, but, but in general, in any particular year. You talk about the politics that was going yeah. on. Yeah. And especially the politics that's through Triple R. Um, one of the most interesting of the um, episodes I found was, and I would definitely recommend it, check out um, not the year 1988. Um, it's subtitled Triple R's Year of Chaos. Right. Because I remember, I remember actually back then um, they had an interesting lineup of Saturday um, programs. Yeah, and, I mean, they could have been champions. That's and, right. Um, yeah, Film bus forecast. That's right. A gu- good lawyers, guns and money. Yep, yeah, yep, the Uric yeah. Club. Um, and the thing is, they could have been champions that, that year um, were purloined by the ABC oh. and, uh, and that left a hole and apparently – Management, um, the, the story of 1988 and the chaos that was, the management decided in their wisdom to get rid of film bus forecast as well. Wow. Uh, silly enough. And, and yeah. that created a bit of a backlash, especially with uh, the Uric Club, the comedy comedians that were on on Triple R and, and the wider community of comedians because that was pretty big back yeah, in, in the day. We had. Yeah. 
I mean, to get a clear idea, just go to 90, the 1988 right. entry of, of the, right. the 40 Years in 40 Days podcast on SoundCloud. That, that gives you a more specific because yeah. um, he quite goes into quite detailed, um, doesn't yeah. hold back any of the, yeah. the, the scandal that occurred. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting. Great. So, welcome to yet another. Swamped. Now, we were talking about. We were talking Three, about triple, triple R. R. Triple R. R. That's so great. Triple R. I, I, I like to go triple, ripple, nipple. Yeah. <laughs> triple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen Walker was a very important yeah, uh, character in back in 1988. He was the program manager. Had he come across from th- uh, 3RMT or no? Uh, I don't think so. No, he okay. came on board Later. around about yeah. 84, 85. I actually met him. In fact, he's the one who probably gave me my gig. Oh, right. Doing um, the graveyard shift because um, at the time they were doing uh, Triple R's all-time greatest top 100 albums. Actually, that would be, I'm sure, interesting to listeners, um, uh, uh, Russell, that um, how does one go about getting on radio? So you, you – It's different wrote, now to what it was to back then. R or you – No, no, no. Right. They had a, a volunteers um, day where, where people, volunteers – I mean, subscribers could come in and, and become volunteers. Right. And they just you showed us around the studio and, and around, the, around the whole building. Yeah. The old, back in the days of Victoria Street, Fitzroy. And we just meet people. And we put our name down for what we wanted to do, and I guess I wrote down that I wanted to DJ, and then, and, and I got put on a list to be trained. Basically, ah, went right. from there, and right. I was trained by this lady called Annie. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And um, I came how, in. How late at night. was that? Was it like a really new world in terms of using, um, you know, the various um, you know, technology that one does in the in the sound room in the in the the, the recording studio, or you were very comfortable with that, or um, what was um, the experience? Like? A bit of both. I mean, I was fairly. I mean, we were talking about we're talking about record players, you know, um, yep. just disc players, and then there would be cart machines which was basically like the old 8-track tapes. You, you just slot in a little 8-track tape, which would be a triple R ad or cart, yeah. and that would play, and you'd learn the, the ropes about how to, to queue up a record. Yeah. Um, you know, do, you, do you still very much remember that that first ever night at triple R? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Oh, it went fine. It went fine. Just me and Annie mainly did, did the show, and she right. gave me a couple of moments where I could basically come in and do and, – and I remember I um, – Just to get you comfortable. Yeah, I remember yeah. I had an idea for um, Casablanca, the film. I had this record of um, Dooley Wilson singing um, – as time goes by, and, yeah, and yeah. also I, I, I segued that into Roxy Music's song 2HB, which is to Humphrey Bogart. Oh, I remember right. yeah. I gave a little little yeah. uh, a, a little thematic thing, and that was my little segment there. Yeah. Um, and it went pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just you know, just just been learning about how to cue records up and and talking comfortably with a microphone there and with the, with the headphones on, the cams on and all that. Yeah. Um, and, and we did that for um, two or three nights, basically, and, and then I was basically considered trained. Right, right. Um, it's really come down to just getting comfortable knowing that, you know, your voice is going out there and, and just like we're doing now, just yeah, talking comfortably yeah, even you, though. Yeah, you can get to that point where you almost become unconscious that you are actually recording that's, something. And, well, that's and, what you want to do. Yeah, you you, yeah. you want to lose the, yeah. you know. This, being so self-conscious. Of, the fear. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And that was ultimately why. And just, just learning the ropes wasn't that hard. Yeah. I'm um, queuing up records was the main thing and just making sure you faded up your – 
you know, you, you, you know, the volume control for when you wanted to come in and talk and stuff like yes, that. Yeah. Sometimes I'd forget. I, I right. remember there were some times when I'd be talking and talking <laughs> now, or sometimes um, I'd actually put a song on and I'd forgot to put the sound down on my microphone and I'd be saying something to someone oh, and realizing that that would go over the music. That that was but you hear out. that even yeah. now, yeah. You, you know, yeah. when, you know, yeah. when inexperienced um, DJs. DJs do it. But they, the training is much more in depth now. Um, right. That was very laid back back on the, the yeah. back in 86 when I learned yeah. it. Um, yeah, but so yeah, so so, so it was Stephen Walker <laughs> that then interviewed you to get to get this. Well, he just interviewed me. I mean, at, at, yeah. at the time, like I was saying, um, there was this greatest hundred albums that Triple R was doing a sort of a survey, and then they'd get the listeners to write in and their top ten or whatever it was, and they'd, they'd collate them basically. And um, right. and I remember sitting there with a whole bunch of them that I had on this table, and and Stephen Walker was there, and and I just had a chat with him talking about good albums, and I I, I think I impressed him basically with my knowledge of albums, albums and I, I, I told him you know if i was going to choose a, a best australian album it would probably be the dingo's first album and right. he, he nodded he said sage yeah. he said oh yeah that's yeah. a good 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 example there and i remember the next week i came in and he came up to me and, and you know very sort of pleased with himself in some ways because he was conferring on me this this benediction you know uh, we've got a slot opening for the graveyard shift uh, tomorrow oh, wow. night you you can have it if you want you know oh, wow. i said yep yeah, yeah, i'll take yeah. it thank yeah, you very yeah, much yeah, yeah. Steve. So you just i imagine stoked and over the moon i was a, yeah, um and that was yeah. my you know introduction to stephen walker who at that time was was being known as the ghost who walks because stephen walker is actually the name of the phantom character in the comic books of course and yeah. he used that to to create his skull cave program which i think he he actually instigated back in 1986 um, these days, he's not so much the 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 ghost who walks, simply the ghost, I think, and that's now simply the cave. But back in 1988, he was the program manager, um, and he, um, because of all, all the, the year of chaos and because of um, all the the crap going on, he uh, he resigned um, at oh, that right, time, okay. and and um, and that was part of the, the the whole issue back then. But then he got reinstated towards the end of the year when this new um, bean can- counter came along to right. sort of sort out the problems that was going on. And, and she, one of the first things she decided was simply get that guy back because she'd been a fan and she'd listened to the program, listened to trip, listened to um, Steve yeah, Walker do his show, really good and realised what a great DJ he was and right. what a, what a great program manager he was and what yeah. a mistake it was to get rid of him. Yeah. And so she brought him back on, um, you know, against the basically the management's wishes, I think, right. um, which was. You know, it's hard to imagine Triple R without Stephen Walker. Yeah, I was going to say ghost. almost without going too far, but sort of, um, you know, uh, Steve Jobs with with um, Apple and finding himself kicked out by his own mm, company, mm, and, mm. but then being sort of brought back in when they realised, well, actually, yep. um, he's been, you know, yep. in Steve's job, you know, with yep. such a big part of that. But Steve Walker, I mean, he's synonymous with Triple R. I yeah. mean, you know. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. And sadly, I guess, because he, yeah. he has now MS and, and he's been sort of going oh, right. downhill for the last few years. Oh, right. He's had a few. I mean, he does his, he still does his, his Friday afternoon program, the, the, the Cave, but um, he's had a few absences because of that. And right. I was listening to his show um, the other day and it's um, it's kind of, Uplifting and sad in the same in, in both ways, really. At the same time, because um, he's kind of a, he, well, he's very much a shadow of his former self, I would say. When you, I mean, he he was so sharp and spot on with his patter and and what he play. Um, yeah. I was listening to it, and, and the first I thought, this isn't Stephen Walker, this is someone else. They've, they've found someone who's 
crap basically um and he was introduced and he and he just played some leonard cohen song um yeah. leonard cohen got died recently and yeah. the guy who was talking was still slurring and stuttering and he didn't make much sense and um it sounded boring and i was like no this isn't stephen walker and i just happened to be going down the shop to get some fish and chips for yeah. my friday fish and chips and then i got my chips and then came back got back in the car and and it's like he, he'd sort of um he'd recovered and he was playing this great Hope Sandoval song, Hope Sandoval from Mazzy Star, right. who album we featured a couple of yes, weeks ago because yes, um, yes. she's got a new album out, which is great news. And um, and he was saying, yeah, oh, she sounds like sort of lady be good to have a have a, a, a you know whiskey and a, and a and a and a toke with, doesn't she? You know, sound sounded like the good old um, Steve um, Walker of old. Um, so he's sort of kind of up and down at the moment, but it's just a real credit to Triple R that they're yeah. keeping him on. But it's just very interesting to to hear this guy sort of going downhill um, from what he used to be, be, but yeah. but he is, they're keeping him on and, and he's still doing his program. And, um, you know, he's it's just weird. It's, I, I can't yeah, yeah. describe it any other way. Stephen Walker is still on doing his his Skull Cave program, yeah, but it's MS not the and, same ghost. Yeah, it's the shadow yeah. of the ghost, basically, yeah, is the way yeah. I, I think of him these days. But it's nice that they've kept him on and they've kept him going. And, and obviously, I mean, why should they stop? Why yes. should they stop putting him yeah. on? I mean, he yeah. can still do the program. He still plays great music. Yeah, he may not sound the same. It may not have um, maybe some of the... Uh, whatever the, the 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 sharpness or whatever no. that, that he obviously had without the illness, but um, the fact is he can still do it. And um, yeah. um, and if nothing else, I mean, I think that um, on all sorts of levels, I mean, obviously a tribute to him. I think, as you're saying, Russell definitely a tribute to Triple R, and perhaps uh, a good measure of its underlying core values and and an approach to, to to music and broadcasting and and all of that. Obviously, at a whole lot of levels. Um, and clearly, just an inspiration to um, you know, so to well, to hopefully to to anyone that's listening to this, an inspiration to people as to what you can do, and especially that with with good support from those around you, that um, uh, you know, MS doesn't have to be um, like you know, like like any other significant chronic illness or disability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the life sentence that it usually is for people, where yeah, you know, they're immediately sort of you know, on the scrap heap, on the scrap heap by yeah. most you know corporate companies or whatever. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Um, here's a public radio station saying, well, no, look, as long as you can, you know, um, as, as long as we're, we're not making things difficult for you and you're able to still, yeah. you know, uh, you're able to still DJ and do the yeah. basic mechanics of this show, yeah. well, we're going to have you on. Yeah, well, yeah, it's interestingly awesome. enough, I mean, I remember the old um, Victoria Street um, station. Studio, it was actually yeah. upstairs, quite, yeah. a, quite a long flight of stairs upstairs, and the, they moved to a place in, in um, on um, – um, yeah, the, well, the new the new building is actually on Nicholson Street, right. and and I know for a fact that I mean I haven't been in there, but I know for a fact that um, the Triple R Studios is on the ground floor, and I'm right. pretty sure part of the reason for why they put it on the ground floor was to make um, Steve's um, oh, wow. egress a bit bit easier to get into the into the studio. He, he was having trouble. No, that's great. That's, getting upstairs, or yeah. or maybe that was in anticipation of him having trouble getting upstairs. Well, look, not, but, not that I lack the faith, but I mean, um, not, not, know, not listening that much that. to radio these days, just just because, um, which is it, we could reflect on that, but, um, you know, just because um, there's so many things to listen to, including podcasts and so on, um, so I don't uh, spend the amount of time I used to maybe um, listening to radio, but if I had any, if I needed any more reason to, to, to uh, you know, re- rejoin and become a subscriber again to Triple R, 
far, then I think you've um, you've sold me on the, on that one, Russ. Yeah, yeah so that's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it goes, goes beyond loyalty, really. Yeah. When you think about yeah. it, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. I think we could do something with that, Louis. Rui? Hooey, you, Dewey? Would you like Dewey? Dewey. So we're talking about God. The Swamp? So on Spotify, I've just brought up um, a band that you, you've actually, I think, just discovered on Triple R as well, was it called? No, it wasn't Triple R, oh, it was Bandcamp. Bandcamp, of course. Hey, it could have been Triple R. Uh, yep, I mean, I've yep. discovered other Bandcamp bands from, like, Crop Top yep. from Triple R. Yes, but yes. this time it was definitely from Bandcamp. Um, yeah, just and like, following. But, like, wow, this band Moonlight is just. Um, no, 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 Moon Sign. <laughs> I'm just quickly slapping Rui across the back of the head. Just do you hear that? Get it right. Hear it? Yeah. I just slap him. Uh, Moonsign, yeah. Moon, yeah. Uh, they're a duo from Sydney. I only right. just discovered them recently because um, some of the people I've been following on Bandcamp, some of the bands that they've been following, one of them was, was Moonsign. Moon for yeah. some reason, I just, just had to Well, yeah, look, out. again, you've stumbled on a little treasure there because um, I've got to say the couple of tracks that we've played, Rusted, um, uh the, certainly, the the young woman's um, her name's um, Bastion. Bastion, yeah. Look, her vocals are just um, uh, stunning. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Uh, Very unusual. It really takes me to the um, I don't know the lead singer's name for um, for Goldfrap, but um, yeah, that kind Alison of Goldfrap. Uh, Alison Goldfrap, like this really rich timber sort of sound, a very se- a sexiness in the in the in the sound that's um that's great. Yeah, you know? but it's a bit more mellow I would say than golf rap. But, yeah. I mean they, they describe themselves as pretty core. Yeah, that's well that's yeah. one of the descriptions, which yeah. I think fits. It's kind of sad, mellow, yeah. almost trip hoppy. Yep. Um yeah, but so. um you know, so they had this um little E P called If You Go, which which they dropped about March this year and um right. for my money it's it's one of the, the, the records of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been listening to it non stop. Yeah, I can definitely see why. Look, it's very it's very trippy and very hoppy and um uh, do you know whether they're hopping down to Melbourne anytime? No, I don't. Soon? No, I'm because... hoping you get down here, Bastion yeah. and, and yeah. you and your Look, fellow. We'll, we'll promote you on the swamp because we we'll will. be there. We'll we'll no, we're we there. We will, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and so, this is an EP called "If You Go," or it's it's a, an EP, yeah. yeah. Well, it's only five yeah. tracks, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's their first EP as well. No, no, no. They they okay. they they actually were originally a four piece band oh. um, with guitars, a more poppy sort of sound. Up there. Yeah. And you can find that all on on their uh, their um, Bandcamp site, right. or even on their Spotify site. I think you've got some stuff there. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I can sort of looking. Uh, I'm on Spotify now, having look at that on um, on my Chromebook and. Um, uh, looks like there's you know quite a bit of stuff there. Shall yeah. we wrap it up? So let's wrap it up for a very musical swamp today. Russ. It was we've, we've um, totally definitely musical. covered um, uh, some ground from um, I, I guess uh, news agency magazines yeah. all the way to prog rock and the nadir of the yes albums <laughs> of 1974 but, and beyond. Um, beyond, but that's the swamp for you. It um, is. You never know where the next cesspool will take you. You be be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> guys check you soon uh, keep stay tuned keep listening and um, um we'll catch you on itunes yeah bye